from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Uh, there was some, um, some would say a double cross, some would say miscommunication, some would say change of heart, however you would phrase it. And the Democrats didn't take kindly to that and basically uh, wiped away the last day of the session with a filibuster. It's about their next office. It's about how fast and quickly they can move to get more power. And unfortunately, in the state of Missouri, they've been, it, it's worked for them. I'm Sarah Fetsky. Friday marked the end of the legislative session in Missouri, and it's safe to say this was a season finale like no other. Usually, lawmakers work right up until the 6 p.m. deadline, and this year provided no shortage of bills that various people hoped to get across the finish line. So why did the Senate adjourn in the early afternoon? And what does that mean for the business that remained unfinished at that hour? Well, joining us today to help us make sense of the unusual climax of this legislative session is Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent. Jason, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, the Senate meltdown on Friday afternoon, this was over something I'd never even really heard of uh, before last week. This is called the Federal Reimbursement Allowance, FRA. What is that and how did it suddenly get so controversial? So for the last 30 years, the General Assembly has taxed hospitals, nursing homes, pharmacies, um, and that money is used to help pay for the Medicaid program, which is the public health insurance program for the poor brings in about $2 billion. Uh, there's there's some talk that it's actually up close to $4 billion when you start talking about federal reimbursement on top of that. Hmm. Um, and the program itself is about $10 billion. So every year, it's, it's a relatively legislative e- legislatively easy bill. It's just it expires in September. So you say 2021, we're going to change that to 2022. And we move on about our lives. But this year, there was an attempt by some Republican senators uh, who to add an amendment to the FRA that would have blocked the use of uh, of government funds for certain types of contraceptives, and another amendment that would have blocked any sort of family planning funds from going to Planned Parenthood. Uh, those amendments have gummed up the works for the FRA, blocked its passage, and it all sort of culminated at around 3 a.m. on Friday morning while the uh, a bill came up that had a clean version of the FRA without those abortion amendments and the contraceptive amendments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Democrats thought they had a deal with the Republican leadership to block efforts to put those amendments on, pass the FRA, and go on about life just as they've done in the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some, some would say a double cross, some would say miscommunication, some would say change of heart, however you would phrase it. But the effort failed. The amendments were going to get on and the FRA was derailed. And the Democrats didn't take kindly to that and basically uh, wiped away the last day of the session with a filibuster. And as you said, they ended up all going home at two o'clock, about four hours earlier than the Constitution would require. Hmm. So Senator John Rizzo, he's a Democrat from Independence. He made the motion to adjourn. This again is around two o'clock. He later called it, quote, a perfect ending to a dysfunctional year. And he said this about frustration within the chamber. This has been a Republican leadership problem within the entire Senate for the entire session. I said what a lot of people have been wanting to say for a long time today. And if I could show you my text messages, I could promise you there are more Republicans on there that said good job than Democrats. 
because they know what I knew what I was going to say and they heard it for the first time. And I bet you a dollar to a donut that I have a majority of that chamber that was happy with what I said today because at one point or another they've been in the same situation we've been in. So that is Democratic Senator John Rizzo. He suggests that this wasn't just that Democrats were livid about this and, and intent on filibustering, but there's some bigger problems here. Um, do you think he's right about that? I do. You know, we sort of documented this a little bit in a story today. There really are three factions in the Senate right now on almost every issue. There's the conservative caucus, there's the Democrats, and then there's however you would want to frame them, the, the rest of the Republican caucus. Some would say the moderates, uh, you know, some would say the institutionalists, however you'd want to, to, to frame them. Perhaps they're they are... sometimes called rhinos in, in certain uh, <laughs> Republicans in name only, in the, in the words of arch conservatives. Right, depending on the circles you travel in. And so, you know, throughout the session, uh, Senator Rizzo's right, there, that, that seems to be where the lines broke. If you had uh, issues like the Second Amendment Preservation Act, you would have Republicans versus Democrats, but then you would have the gas tax increase or the prescription drug monitoring program where Democrats and a handful of Republicans passed those bills and the rest of the party, the majority sometimes of the Republican Party, opposed them. Uh, and that, again, it just sort of culminated with the FRA, where you had everyone in leadership uh, except the Senate president voting with the Democrats to try to stop that amendment from getting on. And you had the Democrats saying, you know, that we could have gotten this done. They think it's because of political ambitions, uh, you know, and that's going to be something that's going to only get worse, I think, as we get closer to 2022. So this split, um, this split within the GOP, you would think that this would be something that, that Democrats might welcome, that this gives them a chance to have a seat at the table in a way they wouldn't if, if there's a, a unified Republican Party. And yet uh, Senator Rizzo certainly sounded really annoyed. He was less annoyed by the fracture, which I think, to your point, he would love to see the Republicans <laughs> fracture and fight amongst themselves. There's nothing that if the Democrats can sit in their offices while the Republicans fight, I think that's exactly what they want. And you heard that from the House Democrats when they uh, adjourned uh, on the other side of the building. You know, sort of some of their big successes this year were helping Republicans get stuff across the finish line. Again, like the gas tax or the pres prescription drug monitoring, things where Republicans wouldn't have had the votes without the Democrats. Uh, the problem for Senator Rizzo and for a lot of members of the Senate is they feel as though there's just a lot of times when word isn't kept, mm. when there are deals made, when negotiations take place, and then you get out to the floor and everything just gets thrown out the window. They really feel like they were double-crossed at the middle of the night, and there were a lot of Republicans who maybe weren't on the same side on this FRA debate, but they feel as though they've had a similar experience with leadership this year on other issues. And I think he's, I, I don't think it's hyperbole hmm. for Senator Rizzo to say that he probably had more Republicans cheering him on than Democrats, because there's just been a lot of frustration this year with how that chamber's functioned. Hmm. Well, Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden, um, he defended the Senate's work. Here's what he said about this. I mean, look, I think, again, the, the Senate is a unique place um, with 34 very, very unique personalities. I think any, any notion um, that because we didn't do something uh, that, that doesn't have to be done until September 30th is somehow a failure, I think is a misclassification. I think it's a, a, a very short-sighted view of things. Uh, we are standing here today, standing on the top of, of, of a record of accomplishments, conservative accomplishments, things that we've worked for um, decades, in some cases as it relates to education reform. 
And that, again, is Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden. Now, when he said this doesn't have to happen until September, he's referring again to this FRA, the Federal Reimbursement Allowance, that brings in $2 billion, maybe as much as $4 billion, you're saying, Jason, of the $10 billion Medicaid budget. What happens um, if they can't get on the same page before September? Or am I way too premature in asking that question? Well, they're definitely going to come back for special session, and special sessions are going to be a lot more difficult to, uh, you can't really filibuster a special session. Those things Mm -hmm. can last for 60 days. And so it really is just a matter of Republicans trying to find out what they want to do and get on the same page. Everyone assumes that they're going to figure this out before September because you can't have a $2 billion hit in the budget. They'll have to find that money somewhere. Now, this is a good year, I suppose, to do it because there is a lot of federal money coming in, but it's not the problem they want to be dealing with. Um, And to his point, you know, Senator Rowden is correct. There are some historic bills that were passed this year that they've been trying to do for many, many years, as long as I've been here and longer on education or, you know, like I said, the gas tax, things like that. Um, But to say that a bill that has been routinely approved with, you know, occasional games of chicken um, for 30 years, uh, then it didn't get approved this year that that's just, you know, a big nothing burger that they'll get done at some point is downplaying the point just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. This is a significant bill. There's only a couple bills that everyone considers are must pass bills. Well, one is the set of the budget bills, the actual budget itself. And one is the FRA. I mean, there has been weeks where the Senate has boiled down, where the Democrats have become upset and they filibustered. And then they've stopped their filibusters just so we could pass the FRA because they know even this sort of fighting, it's its too important not to let it go through. So um, downplaying that, I understand what he's saying, and he's, he's not wrong that they did a lot of big things this year, but not passing the FRA is very significant, and it's something they're going to have to do now before the September deadline. Hmm. I want to play another clip from Senator John Rizzo. Again, he's a Democrat from Independence, and he said this about um, his frustration about the legislature's failure to expand Medicaid, another Medicaid-related issue um, that didn't end the way Democrats hoped it would, and then also going back to this FRA. The federal reimbursement allowance. But at the end of the day, uh, they want to have all of the adulation to their red meat by saying we are opposing Medicaid expansion, knowing on the back end it's going to happen in a court. And then they get to tell a liberal judge that forced us to do Obamacare. And, you know, the attorney general gets to go into a courtroom and fight against Joe Biden, and he loves suing everybody. And, you know, I think we're suing Major Biden and Champ Biden. and. You know, anybody that's in the administration right now, I don't know if we've even found someone to serve in China for the, you know, corona or COVID. Uh, But it's just, it's a complete political game. It's a game that they're playing with people's lives. And it's sad because it's not about providing health care or we would have passed an FRA. It's not about providing health care or we would have expanded Medicaid like the people wanted. It's about their next office. It's about how fast and quickly they can move to get more power. And unfortunately, in the state of Missouri, they've been, it, it's worked for them. It's worked for them for quite a while. And that is Senator John Rizzo, a Democrat. Um, Jason, the Senate adjourned early then, and I'm sure there were a lot of bills the, ho- the House had been hoping that they would consider in those final hours. What was the reaction in the House when the Senate said, hey, we're packing our bags, we're going home? Uh, initially outrage. I mean, they were pretty upset. There was one uh, representative, Don Roan, from down in the boot hill, who was make who who vowed to make a motion on every Senate bill to send it to fiscal review. 
um, which is allowed in the rules. And all that would mean is that that would be the death of that bill because mm-hmm. there was only a few hours left and there wasn't enough time for it to go to committee and come back out again. Cooler heads ultimately prevailed and they actually did do some legislating those last few hours. But, you know, they were very upset. And, you know, a lot of times the House gets kind of made fun of for being the lower chamber, uh, being the more out of control chamber. It's 163 members. Um a lot of times they're doing the stuff that's considered a little bit more far out there. Mm-hmm. And the Senate is the, you know, the old adage, it's the saucer that cools the tea or uh, the more deliberative body. So to watch from across the rotunda as the Senate melted down on Friday and was unable to even conduct business, I think there was also just a little bit of, uh, huh, you know, I told you so's coming from the, the lower chamber in the <laughs> House. But they did eventually, again, they they they, they talked, they they got themselves back in order and they, they started passing some bills and uh, getting some even some Senate bills to the governor's desk, uh, despite being relatively upset with the with the conduct conduct of the Senate. We're talking today to Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent. That's the nonprofit news site. You can find their work at MissouriIndependent.com.org. Uh, Jason, why am I drawing a blank? Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. com. Thank you. Excellent work there. And uh, Rudy Keller actually had a great story today about these, these fights between Republicans. This is a must-read if you want to understand what happened. There's also a ton of coverage on all the bills that did get through. And we're going to talk about just a few of those highlights today. Highlights or lowlights, depending on your perspective. Uh, Lawmakers passed a bill ending federally mandated emissions testing in St. Charles, Franklin, and Jefferson counties. Uh, First, federally mandated. Jason, can they even do that? They can just decide to get rid of it? Well, that's the question. And that's there was efforts to do that on several bills this year. And the thing that kept uh, tripping it up was a threat that the EPA, that the federal government, if the counties decided they weren't going to participate in these emissions programs was going to pull federal money which would be about 52 million dollars in highway funds hmm. according to the the fiscal note of the bill that's a big number for a road system that's already considered underfunded and so that was enough to kind of derail it for most of the session um, near the end they did strike a compromise essentially saying that if the federal government lets the state know that it's going to pull that money if we're in danger of losing that $50 million, that this bill would basically be null and void, that we wouldn't leave the emissions program. So there's a there's a bit of an out clause that allowed some people to, to vote for this. But the people who support it say this is a federalism issue, that, that, the state, that the federal government shouldn't be mandating these programs that are designed to ensure air quality in these urban areas. And so, but that's where we stand. If, if the federal government decides it, well, first, if the governor signs it, and then the federal government decides to pull that money, this bill doesn't go into effect. Hmm. Interesting. So another showdown between our state government and the federal government. This comes over federal gun laws. And, and again, I have the same question to this. Can they do this? But, but first, Jason, tell us what they're trying to do here. Well, so it's a it's called the Second Amendment Preservation Act. It was a big priority for the conservatives in the legislature. Essentially, it tries to nullify federal gun laws. Um, it does that by disallowing local and state law enforcement from enforcing certain gun laws. And it actually has a fine structure that would, uh, you know, for example, a, a law enforcement agency could be fined $50,000 if they deprive a Missouri citizen of their right to bear arms. So, so there's actually Let me a slow you down on this. For, yeah. Sure. Say I'm a St. Louis police officer and I arrest somebody and they end up being charged with something that's on the federal books. My agency could face a $50,000 fine? It's 
It's very possible. Yes, there. You know, the details of this are hard to 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 tease out because it's something that we've never done here before. Obviously, <laughs> but the aim of the bill is to yeah to keep from the, the fear, I guess, that Republicans have stated when they were passing this bill was that the federal government was going to impose new federal restrictions on gun ownership, hmm. either through executive order or through legislation, and that this would prevent a local or state law enforcement from enforcing those laws, which the Republicans in the legislature believe violate the Second Amendment. Um, they tried to do this a few years ago. They passed the bill. It was vetoed by then-Governor Nixon, and it nearly got overridden until there was a couple of Republicans that, that bucked the party and voted against it. So they've been kind of at this for a better part of a decade now. They finally got it across the finish line. Again, it goes to the governor, presuming he signs it, he could veto it. But uh, And then we'll see how this would work out in reality. Um, you know, Democrats' argument for not standing up against it and trying to filibuster it um, was this is going to get tossed. That mm-hmm. There's no way a federal court's going to let this stand. And so this is another one of those instances where the, the ultimate um, determination about how uh, sweeping this bill is will be decided in a federal courtroom at some point in the near future if, if the governor signs it into law. Yeah, and I'm no lawyer, but I, I think it's pretty common knowledge that federal law trumps state law. This just seems like crazy. But but beyond that, um, you know, I think a lot of Republicans would tell you they're the pro-police party. I can't imagine law enforcement agencies welcome being fined for trying to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, violations on, on gun laws under federal law. Was there any pushback from law enforcement agencies over some of these provisions? There has been, absolutely. Historically, there, there's been some serious pushback. There was some concessions made to try to ease those concerns. And when they held the con- press conference sort of announcing its passage and celebrating it, they actually trumpeted the support of Greene County Sheriff Jim Arnott, who said that he had worked with Senate leadership on the bill, trying to, to make it something that they could stand behind. But yeah, Democrats were really quick to make the argument that this was defunding the police. Mm. It wasn't shifting resources from you know police officers to social services. This was, in fact, the Republicans supporting defund the police. Republicans, for their part, say that's ridiculous. But that's the argument that, that, that we had during the session on this bill. And again, at the very end of the day, it's going to end up being a federal judge or a federal courtroom that decides whether or not this bill uh, stands up to the constitutional scrutiny. Hmm. So speaking of defunding the police, we should also mention um, there was a, a bill that passed and is now headed to the governor that blocks cities from doing that, or at least it attempts to block cities from doing that. How, how are they going about legislating that? Well, so the, the, the purpose of that bill, uh, it would penalize cities that cut their budgets by a certain percentage. I think it's 12% over the average of X number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the, they're trying to tie the hands or, of cities that might try to make deep cuts to their police budget. And this is obviously, partially at least, a response to the, um, the movement since George Floyd's death, you know, the quote-unquote defund the police movement. I think that, you know, St. Louis has made overtures to trying to shift some of its police and public safety money around. Mm-hmm. It remains to be seen how much this would affect that move. But that's the that's the the end game for those that are pushing this is to keep cities from cutting their police budgets more than, you know, X percent over the course of a year. Um, another one where the Democrats stood up and vehemently opposed and tried to fight back on that, saying that this is not only just a usurpation of local control, but it's just bad policy. Um, Republicans saying that this is part of the state government's function is to sort of step in and stop 
city governments and local municipalities from making these sorts of decisions that could harm public safety for the greater state. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we ended up on that bill. And again, like you said, it's on its way to the governor's desk along and attached to that bill are other, uh, uh, provisions Mm -hmm. that Democrats were pretty, had a lot of heartburn about regarding, uh, you know, public safety and criminal justice reform. Yeah, we should mention, I guess this bill would make it a felony if somebody vandalizes a public monument, causes more than $750 in damage if this gets signed. That's now a felony thanks to that same bill. Uh, Jason, one last bill I wanted to make sure to talk to you about today. This is an ongoing topic every time we've talked to you over the course of this session. And this is this issue where the state accidentally overpaid unemployment benefits to a whole bunch of people. And there was kind of this this agreement not to go after these people, that there would be a bill that would go for forward and and say, we're not going to try to claw these back. What is the status of that now that this session is over? Well, that bill did not make it across the finish line. It was a casualty of the Senate's implosion. Um, You know, the House and Senate had been unified in their criticism of the Parson administration for uh, refusing to forgive those mistakenly, mistakenly paid unemployment benefits. And they had a bill that would have forced his hand. Uh, Originally, it was sort of a state funded, uh, you know, if the state, or I, th- I take that back, if it was the federal money that was overpaid, they would uh, not seek the repayment of that. After there was some, let's just say confusion mm-hmm. <laughs> over the state's actions, uh, the state Senate got upset and decided to expand that to include the state portion of the, those unemployment benefits. And that was making its way through. It had pretty overwhelming consensus. But like I said, it, it, it needed to be passed in the Senate, and the Senate imploded before it could ever get to it. And so that just sort of died on the vine. Um, House Speaker Viscovo was asked about this, and he said it was one of his big disappointments of the session, and that it's something that they're going to continue to talk about. But, you know, I doubt that the governor is going to call a special session to have them tell him to do something like that. And it remains to be seen what the administration is going to do. There was there was some money put in the budget that would have covered some of this, so it's possible they could just do it on their own. But uh, the bill that would have actually required the state to forgive those payments did not make it across the finish line. And so it'll just have to uh, it'll be it'll be left in the hands of the governor and the Department of Labor. Hmm. So, as you mentioned, there there will be a special session over this FRA Medicaid funding. Nobody's going to give up two billion dollars with at least having a knockdown drag out fight first. Uh, what's your best guess? Do you think other things will be on the table for that special session, or do you think this will be an attempt to have a one topic get this done and and then uh, uh, adjourn? I think if ultimately it's hard to say i think that with the fra they're going to want to keep it as narrow as possible because they don't want other issues to get in the way frankly Mm -hmm. yeah that's the beauty of the special session is if you call it and you tailor it narrow enough you know filibustering works when you can run out the clock or if you can eat up the opportunity to pass something else Mm -hmm. you know if there's nothing else to debate then you know the leverage that those who may want to derail the bill uh, goes dramatically down. But there have been calls for a special session on election issues like voter ID, which didn't get done this year, or initiative petition reform. Um, there's been calls. There's probably going to have to be special sessions to allocate federal care, uh, you know, COVID relief money as that starts to, to trickle into the state. There's probably going to be several special sessions. This fall, they're going to have to come back and do redistricting because mm. the census numbers were delayed, so they haven't been able to draw the districts yet. So the, the lawmakers are not done with their uh, legislative duties for the year, but I do think that the consensus is they need to come back, focus on the FRA, 
alone uh, get that done before they can move on to other things. But again, that's the governor's prerogative. It's He's the one that's going to have to call him back into special session, and he's the one that defines the parameters of that special session. Hmm. Well, Jason Hancock, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I know your, your marathon here is done, but it sounds like you're going to have a series of sprints ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all looking forward to it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for all you've done to keep us updated over this session. And uh, again, Jason is the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent. You You can read up on everything Jason talked about today at MissouriIndependent.com. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.